Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Good take and catch there from Levas and Miras is with him. Gaston Miras got two already. The no look back on the inside. It's still okay because the fireman's there looking to ignite the attack and beautiful ball there to Shepard. Upfield go the arrows. Ferguson digs this one away and he's got his big number eight with him. Campbell. They have advantage again to the men in white. Moonlight yet again wasn't held. The former child star. Trying to break free there was to Trois. Still the same way they were. Spencer Jones again. Yeah, Moonlight, there he is again. Did a lot of acting when he was a young kid, went to Hollywood and then joined the local rugby side. And as his acting career fell away, he just became better and better at this game. Well, what a breakout! Sniping little stuff. It's Andrew David Copperfield Ferguson. The Raptors thought they had Ferguson by the shoelaces. Toronto scrum half able to sneak through somehow. Alluded not one, not two, but three. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or good morning, good afternoon. It's a podcast that's not listened to live. So whatever time of day, the greeting that applies to you, feel free to insert that there. Uh, my name is Derek Brissett. Welcome to episode 40 of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. With me today is Stu Hardy. Stu, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thanks. In this very chilly uh, Toronto Sunday, Um I, along with many other Torontonians and Canadians across the country, have been taking part in the uh, Terry Fox run today. So raising money for cancer research. So, you know, been productive, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to hear you taking part in one of the uh, great Canadian traditions as well. Um, so as you may have guessed by hearing my voice first, um, Dan is unable to make this recording session. He is feeling unwell. So hopefully um, it's not anything too serious and we will have Dan back shortly. But do not worry because we have someone way better than Dan to talk about rugby anyways. Um, probably knows much more about the game. Um, 10 caps for Canada, 20 for the Toronto Arrows has six tries in those 20 caps, putting him third all-time amongst try scorers for the franchise, as well as fourth all-time in total points. Uh, Mr. Andrew Ferguson. Andrew, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Uh, it's great to see this thing is, uh, you know, starting to make some waves in the rugby community and that, and it's picking up steam. And Stu, I'm glad to hear that you, you ran in the uh, Terry Fox run there. It's a great Canadian cause, and, you know, it's a good way to spend a Sunday as well. That's true, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we hopefully we won't keep you too long so we can get to the uh, Patriots-Seahawks game that you were uh, discussing just a few moments ago there. Are you uh, backing anyone in particular in that one tonight? Uh, I like Russell Wilson. I like the Seahawks. Um, I don't know, there's something about the team. I, I don't really have a bias. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. But, uh, yeah, on the West Coast, I, like, I, I did like Seattle when I was living out there, and it's a pretty cool team, pretty cool place to be. 
Yeah, and obviously they, Seattle also has Luke Wilson, so there's that little uh, Toronto Arrows connection too, right? So you can't can't really cheer against him at this point. Yeah, that guy was an absolute weapon. He is a beauty, great guy, and uh, he was awesome to us when he showed us around. And yeah, so definitely soft spot for the Seahawks. Yeah. So like, what was what was that experience like? Kind of getting to uh, were, were you guys at CenturyLink Field, or was that like a separate practice facility that you were able to walk through and tour with them? Yeah, it was a practice facility. Uh, he works out with uh, Sean, our SNC coach. Is uh, one of the best in the biz. He uh, so Sean had that connection, so he invited us in, and right away he was just you know one of the guys. He's he's you know as you can probably tell he's he's a guy's guy, and uh, yeah, he was just an awesome dude. Showed us everything. We went out into you know the film rooms, the gym, recovery rooms, everything. It was you know top notch tour. Yeah, absolutely, and um, so. I guess like the last couple of months here with uh, COVID-19 and everything has been, you know, it's been very bizarre times for, for everybody. So just kind of like, what, what have you been up to in the last say six months since the last Toronto Arrows game? Um, what, like, what have you been up to? What has been occupying your time? Like what have you been doing to kind of just stay busy while there was essentially no rugby to be played for a long time? Yeah, it's a unique time, eh? There's not, uh, I don't think, well, I've definitely never experienced anything like this. And um, so for the first, you know, two months when you really didn't know what was happening, it was, it was a bit of a scary time. Um, when the kind of announcement came down that, you know, our league was going to be at first postponed and that we were in the middle of a bye week. And uh, myself, Giuseppe, uh, Sam Malcolm, we had rented a uh, VW camper van. We were out in uh, oh, nice. Utah at the time. And we, we went uh, to Zion National Park and we drove around and stayed in the camper van for a week. And it was, it was awesome. But we were just heading back to the Denver airport and uh, getting ready to fly back. And that was when, you know, the Rudy Gobert touching all the mics and, you know, starting that whole thing was, was just coming out. The airport was dead. And we were just in Utah for the last week. So we were all looking at each other like, oh, like this is trouble. And uh, yeah, so then got home and first couple of weeks where, you know, what do we do? You go and you buy the last dumbbells you can at every store, everywhere sold out. And we have a, a Watt bike here and that. So between those two things, we were able, uh, my fiance and I were able to work out, you know, as much as we could and kind of, you know, stay relatively sane. Um, and then from there, when restrictions started to kind of get, let up a bit we were uh, uh able to to do some mini sessions some one-on-one stuff with uh pete smith our, our kicking coach so a lot of kicking stuff a lot of skill work and that just uh you know it gets a bit monotonous when you're working out by yourself and and that so it's nice to touch a ball again and at least be outside doing something even if it was in small groups so yeah that was that was the first little bit until we started you know doing team sessions the other week so things are rolling ahead now or at least were rolling ahead and uh yeah it's been a, a long six months for sure so like what what are some of the challenges that kind of came with like like you said not being able to necessarily train with your teammates um you mentioned some one-on-one kicking sessions with pete smith but like how many like i guess say rugby specific skills are you able to really work on when you're by yourself yeah well i guess to, to answer the first part that was uh you know is what is difficult or what i found difficult i'm somebody who i'm, I'm sure you're aware could put on weight really quick if i want to so i found that to be the struggle at the the, the beginning i'd like be eating and 
not even be hungry, just bored, you know, like yeah. there's nothing to do. And I'd just be sitting there like eating, watching TV. So, you know, trying to, to be a bit more disciplined and strict with that. And then as far as the rugby stuff goes, yeah, it was really difficult. I was doing things like, you know, setting up pillows against a wall and passing balls into those and things like that, where you don't realize how quick you lose it. I'm not saying, you know, as somebody who plays scrum half and, and your job is so heavily reliant upon your ability to pass, it's not something I'm not going to all of a sudden not know how to throw a spin pass in six months, but definitely, you know, the, the crispness and, and feeling really yeah. comfortable doing it is something that uh, two weeks, you know, you have two weeks off and, and you can already feel it. So just trying to stay sharp on those little things, trying to get in at least a session or two a week of, of skill specific, specific stuff. Uh, that was my, you know, main focus. It's a lot more fun to do that stuff than always, you know, bike until you puke sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So, so like when, when would be the, like the last time you've got, you think you've gone like, so, I mean, obviously you've, you've played, played for the arrows, you played Ontario blues, Oakville crusaders, McMaster marauders, um, like, and team Canada. So it's like, you kind of like, that's, there's not a whole lot of time in the year where you're not playing rugby. So like, when was the last time you actually went? Like, what are we at now? Six months without yeah. playing a game? Like, yeah. when, was, when was the last time that's, that's occurred to you? Playing a game. Um, I went a pretty long stretch uh, when I was living at Western Victoria with the centralized program where I didn't play in games. Um, there was a little while where I, I, was going on every Canada tour, but not getting in games, particularly early in my like international stuff, you know, 2016, mainly 2016 to 17, I wasn't getting a ton of high level games. We'd have a lot of training in that, but uh, no games. And then obviously last year when uh, I was at world cup camp and that, and then when I got released from that, it was like, you know, I know I'm being a Debbie Downer here. So Ferg's bringing down the podcast already, but you know, I was, uh, you know, I was pretty discouraged obviously by that. And I just wanted nothing to do with it for a little bit. And I thought I needed that, you know, to get away from it. So I went, you know, a month and a half without even, you know, touching a ball or anything. And that was pretty much the last time uh, that I'd done anything like that. And let me tell you, it, it took some time getting back after that, you know, month and a half away alone. I was like coming back being, and I just wasn't where I, I thought I was going to be. So uh, I will not be making that same mistake again. I will uh, at least, you know, s- try to stay on top of it once a week or so. Okay, so we've talked about, um, like you said, your experience with Canada and experience with Toronto. But I'd like to go right back to the start and ask, what was it that got you started in rugby to begin with? Yeah, uh, for most kids, it's in Canada, at least, you know, when I was coming through, their first experience wasn't until high school. I was really lucky. I had, you know, a couple best friends when I was coming through uh, elementary school and then into high school. And one of them, Richard Jutronich, his dad was the head coach of uh, Oakville Crusaders at the time, Mark Jutronich. And so I was always hanging out at their house, always playing around and that and always going around to the club. And uh, I was playing AAA hockey all my life. So when I told my parents, you know, I want to try rugby and that rightfully. So they look at me like we've been investing this money in you playing hockey for, you know, 10 years at this level. So they were a little bit hesitant and it took them a bit to come around. But then when they did come around, it was, you know, they realized that the merits in the sport and that. So I started when I was in grade eight at a U 14 level and uh, then went through right through high school and uh, started there and then made my first Ontario team at under 15. And to be honest, I made that team because I could play, I started playing before high school so I could pass the ball 
And, you know, a lot of these kids who are learning how to couldn't yet. And that was why I got put at scrum half. So, you know, that ended up being kind of my pathway to playing scrum half as opposed to, you know, being stuck anywhere else for a fat little kid throwing him up prop would have been probably the the smart thing to do for me or hooker. But uh, they uh, let me play scrum half because I could pass the ball and, you know, I haven't looked back. So, and kind of in saying that, so you were saying that you were able to make like the U15 Ontario team based on the fact that you essentially started playing rugby before everybody else in your age group. So like, is there, in your opinion, do you think there's anything that say either rugby Ontario, the Toronto Arrows, or even rugby Canada as a whole can do to like start introducing the game to kids at a younger age. So maybe it's just, you know, if you started playing rugby when you're in grade seven or eight, as opposed to nine, it's not necessarily a huge advantage. We just have this pipeline of kids that have been playing rugby, you know, since they were younger. Yeah, I think, you know, on, uh, so kind of to preface that question, the last week we were in a session at, uh, Oakville Crusaders, after we trained on last Wednesday, uh, Lucas Rumble, Marcello, Will Kelly, and myself ran an under-14 session. And there was 47 kids at this under-14 session. When I started at U14, uh, we definitely didn't have 47 kids out there. So uh, I I don't know necessarily. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have all the right answers on how to grow it. But it seems like whatever they are doing, there are more kids, you know, joining and playing and, you know, having that outlet. And now... Like I told those kids, like when I started at under 14, the possibility of playing professional rugby in Canada wasn't a thing, you know, so having that to aspire to and, and look forward to and, and, you know, try to get to that level. I think that's something that that could keep keep kids going. You know, like I, I mentioned, I played hockey growing up. I wanted to go to the NHL. I wanted to, you know, go to the OHL and the NHL. And that having that pathway for, for kids, I think, is going to be a, a huge, huge, huge thing and a huge pull to keep elite level athletes in the sport. Because you're looking at the U.S. right now as just an example, and they're becoming more and more of a powerhouse. Obviously, the population is so big there. But there's so many good athletes who haven't had that opportunity to go professional in rugby in, in North America. And now that it's there, you know, the sky's the limit for them. So if we can keep going with that as well and keep growing our player base, then those elite athletes hopefully will stay in our sport and, and grow it that way. Yeah. I think, I think like you kind of touched on, it's like, I think if if you want to play hockey in Canada, you have a very clear, like, this is the path. This is the road that you follow. And like, no matter what part of Canada you live in, it is a very clear path. Obviously like the CHL between their three leagues has teams all across the country. And if you aren't even quite good enough for that right away, you can always play like junior a B C like good hold. Like it's just a massive pipeline. So, I mean, I, I think I completely agree with you in saying that it's like, I think you have to develop things like, I guess, even like the Arrows Academy and pride just to be like, this is like, if you want to play for the Toronto Arrows, you play like you can play for your club, your provincial side. And then if you're good enough from that, you'll make the Academy. If you're good enough from that, you can go um, play with the Arrows and play an MLR or maybe even use a similar path, but like maybe open up doors for other teams and stuff as well. Yeah, 100%. Like those elite athletes, like they, they just want to, you know, strive for something and, and have a shot. And uh, now knowing that there is a viable option where they can make some money is huge. And, you know, at that age, it's not even about the money. It's about, you know, trying to be the best and, and playing professional and that and having that opportunity is, you know, that's what drove me. And I know there's a, a ton of other kids who have that same aspiration. So having a North American option is, you know, changes the game. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in saying that, it's like, what, what was your moment for yourself that you realized you could play at this high level, even if, say, the literal level of Major League Rugby didn't quite exist until a couple of years ago? But like, when did you realize it's like, I, I'm good enough to play for Team Canada or even I'm good enough to play this game professionally? Yeah, that's a good question, because it, it's one of those things where if you're always, you know, you always compare yourself to your peer group and that and obviously like I was saying I had started a year before uh, most kids in high school and so I had that little bit of a skills advantage there and a bit of maybe a tactical advantage and I started watching a lot of rugby in that uh, so I had that that little bit of a an experience we'll call it an advantage over, over a lot of the kids I was playing with and so I was successful at younger ages just because of that and so I always thought you know maybe something could happen here when I made the Ontario team and I was playing and uh, we started winning games and that it, I was starting to think, okay, maybe this is a possibility, you know, maybe we can do this. And then probably not until I got into uh, the Ontario blues setup at the time. Um, I think I played it. I was 17 or 18 maybe uh, and played in a trial match. And I was like, you know, I was like scared, like so scared before going into this game. And I, uh, I wouldn't say I was, you know, a standout player by any means, but I was able to hold my own. And that was kind of that, okay, maybe I can play with these guys sort of feeling like you're mentioning. Yeah. Um, now you've mentioned that you were watching rugby games the year before everyone else started uh, learning it in high school. Um, while you were watching, was there any player that you tried to model your game after Um because I think probably by the time you were watching was the start of the professional era. And so there was the time of these um, players that are now going through their own academies and their own um, professional setups in Europe or the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so yeah, is there anyone that you watched and you were like, I want to be like that guy? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Matt Ghetto, uh, Australian 10, 12, 9, throw him anywhere. Uh, I, I just loved watching Matt Ghetto play. I, I don't know. I can't even tell you what it is about him that I love, but something about watching him play, it was just like he, he went for it every time. You know, he was, there was never a question of his commitment. He wasn't the biggest guy on the field. And that he directed really well. He goal kicked well. You know, he distributed, like his skills were good, everything. And for an undersized guy, he just he just really impressed me. And he was somebody, although he wasn't a scrum half, I loved, loved watching him play. Uh, as far as scrum halves go, um, you know, coming through, I, I just loved watching, you know, everything. I liked watching Mike Phillips in Wales. Uh, I like that because he was kind of that opposite. He was an oversized scrum half. He was huge. And he was kind of that outlier uh, in the in that time of the game and just how effective he was. Uh, a threat to run the ball all the time, but also obviously the distribution skills and the game knowledge and all of his actual skill set uh, impressed me a lot. And it was just, you know, you watch guys like that and you go, well, if somebody who doesn't fit the prototypical mo uh, mold of a, a, an international halfback or all these other things – and he's successful and not just successful, but one of the best in the world. Those are the kind of guys that, you know, I, I look at and say, well, if they can do it, why can't I sort of thing. So in mentioning Matt Gitto, um first there, um, what do you think of like some of the rumors that have been floating around that he's potentially linked to the uh, LA uh, Giltinis and might be coming over to North America? Like, would you like relish the opportunity to play against them? 
Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, you tackle them like, I'm sorry, Mr. Ghetto. Get up, you know, like, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how that's good. Uh, I, I mean, I would absolutely love, love that opportunity. And you hear those rumors like him and, you know, Adam Ashley Cooper going possibly to Austin and Drew Mitchell going to uh, possibly New York and that. Like, those are, are the ones where you, you're like kind of fanboy in it while you're, you're, thinking about playing against them, but uh, I would love that opportunity. And I think it's only going to help our game uh, having those people come, come, come over here to play. And yeah, I think it's going to be really cool, really cool experience. Absolutely. And just to kind of round out the um, like your rugby watching habits here. Um, you, I know we've talked in the past. I know you've mentioned like you, you love watching like all forms of rugby, um, all forms of sports as we're finding out here with the, uh, you know, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of football and stuff as well. Um, but like when you watch rugby, is there any team in particular that you're like, when you know they're playing, you kind of make the time on the weekend to make sure that you watch, whether it's for just like entertainment purposes or like you really like what they do tactically. Um, is there any team that is kind of like a go-to must watch um, for yourself? Yeah. Well, and I'm trying to think of in teams, it's easy, you know, to say when international rugby's on, you always want to watch, you know, pretty much all of them, but uh, you know, everybody wants to watch the all blacks play and all that. I like watching the super rugby stuff a lot because of how loose it is. You really get to see some, you know, some crazy, crazy things being like changing the game. Like, I don't know if you guys watched this weekend, that super rugby game, the uh, Australia game in that, you know, backdoor dummy oh you know the like, winger yeah, he oh, like pulled it my. back and then and then the guy dropped it yeah yeah, yeah like, i know you're how. gonna see that all over yeah. the ml or guys trying to chuck this like fake how frustrated would you have been if you did that and say like ben lesage was coming up and he dropped that <laughs> i wouldn't say anything to benny he's got that look where he just like looks into your soul and i would think <laughs> twice about saying that but yeah i know what you mean like yeah, yeah dummy and that and putting trying to put someone away and then they just knock it on i'd be you know you cut that from the highlight tape right after you, you dummy it and that, then you just cut it, you know, that's the <laughs> yeah. way I would look at that. <laughs> so, so there we go. The specific editing. Yeah. Like I even think like, even like the North South game that the, the all blacks kind of played there, like the way that game ended with like, you know, a cross field kick yeah. for a try. Like it's, it's, that's some of the stuff that they do down there. It's incredible. Yeah. Like that, that Southern hemisphere stuff. I love, I do like watching Exeter play. I like watching Exeter play because you know, they can attack from anywhere, you know, their second wave, everything like everybody's so skilled they just kind of changed the game in the northern hemisphere which was always known as you know balls and scrums and that forward dominated game and exeter kind of turned that on its head i think and and they're they're a really fun team to watch so i do like watching them um and then so as far as northern hemisphere i, I do really like watching them but pretty much any of the super rugby and watching the New Zealand teams play is, is something that I'll always, you know, if it's on, I'll always record the games and rewatch them because I just, I enjoy watching the talent that comes out of there. Yeah. And so we'll shift gears now to uh, the Toronto arrows. Um, so you guys have been back at training for what I believe is about three weeks now or so. Um, what has the return to training been like for you guys? Obviously like what is, I guess just like the general, like how excited were you to just be like, Hey, cool. We can train again. Um, we get the, like, actually, like you said, I don't have to throw a ball off a pillow t- tape to yeah. the wall or something anymore. Yeah. That's uh, that first day, you know, 
you're almost like, I don't even want to start training. I just want to sit here and talk with the guys for 20 minutes. You know, like it's, uh, it's nice to see everybody again. Obviously it was, it was difficult. If I'm honest, it was difficult just because it, it was on a volunteer basis. So you, you weren't always able to get everyone who had work commitments and that. And, you know, I try to work my schedule around and move things, but if you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, so sometimes we'd only have 12 guys out at training. And so position specific stuff, trying to run through some pattern in that was uh, at times a little bit challenging. Um, but at the same time, you're never going to complain because the last six months you haven't been able to do anything. So it's nice to at least get out there and be able to throw the ball around and run, get those meters up and that. And our uh, S&C coach was, you know, super mindful and also monitoring everything. So for the first couple of days, everybody's so sore. And uh, particularly in our contact sessions, it's like you haven't done that in six months. Everything hurts right after. So uh, it, it was a bit of an adjustment period, but, you know, no one is ever going to complain they're outside playing rugby or in the dome playing rugby. And that's what we all live for. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of, that was going to be actually a little bit of a follow-up question that I had. It's like, so you guys are able to do like full contact drills and completely train and stuff like that. Then. Yeah, we, we did uh, the last couple of weeks when we were preparing um, for potential matches it, uh, we did get into some live stuff Um you know, relatively controlled. It wasn't, you know, full on breakdown, have a go, but it was a lot of uh, one-on-one and two, two man tackle stuff and uh, a little bit of breakdown stuff, but controlled. Um, so yeah, we, we were going full contact and everybody's walking around the next day, you know, like Frankenstein, they can't move their neck or anything, can't <laughs> turn their head, but no, it was, uh, it was nice to be back in. And it's nice as weird as that is, you know, to, to feel that the next day is kind of a good feeling, you know, it's nice to be back in and feel like you're doing work. Now you have an incredible record of playing for the arrows. So with the exception of one game in franchise history, you have played for every <laughs> arrows game. Um, so over two years or more likely one year and five games worth of MLR <laughs> competition, um, what has the level of competition been in ML, MLR been like? And have you noticed a difference between the seasons? Yeah, d- definitely. So the to answer the first part, the, the MLR competition um, – I used to always say like the university rugby was just all compared to, you know, the men's club was all just really athletic dudes who they'd run everywhere and they'd hit hard, but you know, maybe wasn't as skilled at the beginning. I thought MLR was, you know, more or less similar where, you know, the, the bodies are all big bodies. Guys are, you know, professional in, in terms of the way that they take care of that stuff. But you know, the, as you could see by the score lines, you know, they were, the defense wasn't always there and that sort of thing. But uh, gradually this last year, I know, like you mentioned, we got five games in the level of play has gone, you know, tenfold increased. There's not as many defensive system breakdowns. The opportunities aren't as obvious to, to kind of capitalize on in that. And so I, I do think that not just the size of the players is there anymore. The, the skill and the actual game awareness has gotten significantly, significantly better and, you know, the teams that at the beginning, you know, there's three or four teams which were a little bit further behind the rest of the pack. I think that gap really closed. You saw teams like Houston uh, give us that run where, you know, debatably it could have gone either way. I held up ball in the, in the end zone and that. So uh, 
there wasn't as big of a gap between those top and bottom teams and just the rugby in general, the whole level was, was significantly better. I think if you look like a, look at a team like Seattle, who like, you know, they pretty much had dominated the seasons uh, for their previous two where they weren't losing very many games. And then they come out in this season and they weren't able, I know they had some injury trouble in that, but they weren't able to grab a, a stranglehold on really getting their rhythm going at all. And I don't just attribute that to injuries and that I think the level of play from every team has gotten better. Obviously they were the team to beat, but uh, from every team that they played, every team was much, much better. And uh, I think that that's just come with the experience and as well as the recruiting. There's more more quality players coming into the league and the homegrown talent is just getting better because of it. Yeah, and uh, speaking of bringing in uh, some of the new recruits into the league, obviously the Toronto Arrows have uh, had quite the busy offseason, um, bringing in you know some of the names that have kind of been highlights to come in, include like Juan Cruz Gonzalez, Manuel Montero, um, Adrian Wadden, Siaki Vikilani. Um, like, is there any uh, Gaston Cortez? I knew I was kind of forgetting someone in my head as I was saying that, so I was like, yeah, I went back and got it there. Um, it, like, is there anyone that is coming into the team that you're like? really excited to uh, start playing with or even just to meet in general? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to play with all of them. Um, you know, I, first of all, obviously guys, you know, pour one out for the boys who left the, the Dan Moores and the, uh, Sammy Malcolms and all those boys who uh, unfortunately have, have left us to, for other things. But at the same time, I, I am super excited for, for everybody to come in. You know, I've played against uh, Gonzalez before, actually, every time we played against Argentina 15 and that. And uh, he's always stood out as, you know, a player like when I was mentioning Matt Ghetto earlier, a little bit undersized who just punches above his weight. And, and he's a guy like that. And obviously, you know, watching Montero and that, you're kind of like, wait, this guy's coming to our team. Like, uh-oh, teams are in trouble, you know? Like, I wouldn't want to stand in front of them, so <laughs> let's, I'm lucky he's on our side. So, yeah, no, all of them. You know, guys like Taylor Adams coming in last year, you don't know a ton about because, you, you know, you're not watching the club systems in Australia and that, and you come in and you're like, the footwork, I, I haven't seen anybody do this before, you know? I'm just like, I can't get dummied or stepped by this guy. And I go so hard and all of a sudden he's behind me and you look and you're like, where the hell did that come from? There's so much talent out there. And these guys coming in are, are so talented and I'm, I'm excited to play with all of them. But uh, in particular, obviously, you know, Montero's probably the, that big name coming over that you're like real excited to, to play with and establish a connection with. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of a lot of Arrows fans were you know saddened by the retirement of Dan Moore, and then some of that is uh, was kind of alleviated by finding out that Manuel Montero was the guy coming over. Uh, no disrespect to Dan Moore or anything, but as you said, Montero is a great player. But I think we've kind of talked a little bit about this on this podcast. Um, obviously, Moore was like he's the captain, right? So like he's um, you know. He, you can replace like maybe like say get somebody else to play the wing. Um, but like, how do you replace that like leadership component within the dressing room? I asked the same question to Cole Keith last week, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. Yeah. Dan's a guy who, like you mentioned, obviously winger captain, you can throw 15 different hats on, you know, co-manager, you know, anything you want to throw on that guy. It wasn't just the, the on-field stuff for him. Uh, he made such an impact with uh, the leadership, not just 
rugby related, but making sure that the, all our ducks were in a row for things off the field, the sponsorship, the appointments, making sure guys were getting out to, to clubs to really, you know, spread the arrows uh, brand and that sort of thing. And I think he embodied that. So it, I, I don't necessarily think it is possible to replace a guy like that, but I think there are players uh, within the team who we all just need to pull up our socks and it's going to have to be a collective effort to replace a guy like that. Obviously his on-field stuff, you know, speaks for itself and uh, players at any level and any position are unfortunately replaceable. That's just what professional sport is, but the impression and the imprint, I guess, that he's left on the arrows franchise as a whole through his leadership and, and, you know, just his ability to, you know, get us all organized and pull in the same way, that is what is going to be difficult to replace. And it's definitely going to have to be a a collective effort from everyone. Yeah. um, Yeah. I used to uh, work at the hockey hall of fame, which I know you being a Habs fan, um, lots of, lots of Habs presence in there. And it was, it was kind of funny. We had like one event where there was a couple of guys like Ken Dryden, Larry Robinson, Guy Lafleur from like the seventies, like the dominant seventies team. And inevitably when they're at these things, someone always asked them what made them so good. And the one thing that they like the one, they always had the same answer was, it was like, and it was always just, we had 23 captains like on our team. Right. So is that something that like you're saying, it's gotta be collective. Is that kind of like the attitude that you're sort of looking through it? It's like one guy might have the title, but it's like, it's gotta be everybody. Yeah, definitely. I think we can all, you know, take a role in doing just doing better or uh, to kind of I don't I don't know if Dan just doesn't sleep or what his thing is. There's not enough hours in a day to do all the things that that guy accomplishes. So um, just in, in sheer, sheer terms of taking on responsibilities and making sure that, you know, the club runs the way, you know, because our, our management does a great job and uh Bill, the owner, you know, gives us every single resource to succeed. So just making sure that we take advantage of all of those things and making sure that, you know, guys are, you know, literally taking advantage of everything that's been given to us and capitalizing on that. I think that was something that Dan did amazingly, amazingly well. So that's something that I think we can all make sure, you know, that we all stay on top of and, uh, the, the leaders on the team obviously are, are driving that from the front, but everybody else needs takes that accountability. And that's what I think makes that arrows kind of brand and team so special because it's unlike anything, you know, as cliche as that is a lot of the other teams that have been a part of is just the ownership that everybody takes in that arrows brand and their responsibility to, to grow the brand and to represent well. And that means on the field definitely, but also off with doing everything else in the community. So one of the other players that um, has left the Arrows for next season is the only non-Canadian captain for the Arrows, which is Sam Malcolm. Uh, Sam Malcolm is also better known as the um, man to go for uh, for the main kicking duties. Um, with Sam now leaving, uh, do you think there will be a brewing goal-kicking competition? And uh, if so, will you be a part of it? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. For the last couple of years, Pete Smith uh, he, he does this. So every Tuesday, he would do. Uh, there's a kicking competition at the end of of training, and it's it, it doesn't you know mean nothing, but it uh, it kind of sets you up for going to the Thursday competition, which is usually the the competition for the game. Obviously, last so in the first year, Sammy was you know head and shoulders. There's a day, so we're in a dome just to set 
a bit of a scene for the the pure listeners here. The there's panels on the dome, and they're they're connected. There's one you know connection piece that is a big metal piece that runs in the middle that connects them. And so in our kicking competition, when you're indoor, it's obviously difficult. We don't have goalposts, so we use that one line. And if you're within one panel of either side, say it's worth three points. If you're within two panels on the outside, it's worth one. If you're outside of that, it doesn't count. If you hit that panel, it's worth five. There was a session where Sam Malcolm went five five pointers straight. The like hit, I'm not exaggerating, it's like a three inch metal line and he hit it five straight times. So, you know, that was relatively earlier in the season, and that's when you just throw your tea in the garbage and say, you know, <laughs> Sammy take this thing and run like there's, there's no chance, but with him being gone, obviously it leads, leaves a big void. And uh, there's a, there's a bunch of really respectable kickers in the team. Obviously we, you know, Willie Kelly, um, you got Taylor, Giuseppe can bomb a ball. Spencer Jones is a dark horse. He can pump a ball 55 meters. That guy is an absolute athletic specimen and uh, he, he can pump a ball and I'll stand up and, and, and kick some, I don't know, We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it's going to end up going. And obviously I, I look forward to that, but yeah, Sammy's a guy who is tough to replace, but there are, you know, might be a kicking by committee thing this year. I, I'm not exactly sure. There will be some kicking competitions though. Does going five for five off the bar in the middle, like, does that at least get you like a bye week like for the next competition? <laughs> like you get the next game anyways, or like, is there, is there some like bonus prize for doing that? Or is it just, I didn't like, think, I think Pete probably bragging, thought, right? yeah, ultimate bragging. I think, I don't even know if Pete thought it was possible. You know, like I think I, we were talking about it the other day when, because we were, Willie and I were doing some kicking uh, at training the other day. And Pete's like, do you remember when Sammy went five for five on this? It's one of those like folklore legends with the, the kicking crew there. <laughs> now that's like an impossible thing, but somehow Sammy did it. And that guy was as reliable as any, you know, off the tee that I've ever seen. So yeah, it's uh, big shoes to fill. All right. So I have, I'm going to give you a little statement about uh, your team here. And I just want like you to go with, if you agree with it, if you disagree with it, and then maybe, you know, a little explanation of why you agree or disagree with the statement. Cool. Right, so the Toronto arrows are the deepest team in major league rugby. I would agree with that. And I would agree with that. Uh, partly because at the moment we are the only Canadian team. Uh, so we can kind of cast that net a little bit wider. Anyone who's in Canada who wants to play professionally and obviously stay within Canada, there are a bunch of boys who are playing on American teams, but if they want to stay in Canada, we kind of have that bigger net to cast and, and grab them in. So our local talent uh, and Canadian development is uh, is definitely an asset for us. And I think that's what helps us with our depth. And so it's kind of, you know, that cliche of next man up. Well, that th we do have a lot of next men coming through and ready to take the reins. So I, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. And for yourself, like, obviously, you know, like a lot in the two previous years, you had an, on like an unreal scrum half group with uh, yourself, Jamie McKenzie, Riley DiNardo. Last year, Dylan Young was there. This year, you're going to have um, Jason Higgins coming over from Cork, uh, Cork Con in Ireland. So like, 
in in having like one of the deepest teams in Major League Rugby, and you're at a position that is also pretty deep on the Toronto Arrows as well. I probably got like three scrum halves that could maybe start on the majority of the other MLR teams. So what like what is that comp like internal competition like? I mean, I'm assuming a little bit of like the friendly competition, like you want to see the team do well and all that's mixed in there. But like, what is that kind of like battle for like the nine jersey like? What's it like being like involved in that? And how do you guys like kind of push each other to get better all the time? Yeah, it, like as you mentioned that, like, you know, we have Dylan, we have Riley, we have Jamie, myself, and I think, you know, you could substitute any one of us in and the team would function, you know, just as well. Um, so it, it is kind of like, a, you know, death by a million choices, you know, there, there are options for guys. And the other kind of unique thing about Scrum Half, obviously, is there's all of us, I think, have a bit of a different skill set. You know, like, you know, Riley is so good. It's so quick. His, his feet are quick. He's in and out of breakdowns. He's really tough and tenacious. He doesn't miss tackles. He's aggressive, everything like that. You know, Dylan is also like super athletic. Uh, he's real fast. He, when he makes breaks, he's going to make it pay, things like that. And, you know, Jamie's steady service, everything. Um, strong kicking game, obviously. His skill set is, you know, second to none. Everybody kind of brings their, you know, specialties to the table and, uh, you know, uh, Graham Moffat, when he was coaching with Canada at the time, once told me, you know, you're always going to be, you know, the, the second best Aaron Smith. You're never going to be, if you try to play like Aaron Smith, you're going to be the second best Aaron Smith, you know? So, and that was kind of my wake up to, yeah, if I, if you try to play like other people, you're never going to be the best of what they are because that's what they are. That's what makes them special. So just doing what you do and trying to do that well is what I try to think of and uh, try to preach. And and obviously nobody wants to sit on the bench. Nobody wants to, you know, sit in the crowd and that thing. But like you mentioned with, you want to see the team succeed at the end of the day, if you don't get selected, you have kind of, you know, two choices. You either sit there and pout about it and, you know, it makes the team worse off. And it's obvious to the guys in training. Nobody wants to go talk to the guy who's sitting there so pissed off because he's not in the game and that instead it, you know, you take that, that attitude of, you know, this is the role I'm going to play. And when I get in, I'm going to, I'm going to do well. And those guys, the, the other guys on the team really appreciate that. And I think that that's one thing our whole team, not just the halfbacks, but the entire team has been, you know, really, really good at, I mentioned Will Kelly as an example when he wasn't playing in that and he's, you know, tearing up the starting team in training and he's you know, carving guys up and, and making gaps and making things happen. And I think that's what's really special, not just about the scrum half group, although it is, you know, those guys came in every day and, and worked and battled and, you know, brought their skill set to the table. And I think that anybody could have been selected in any one game and gone in and uh, done just as well. But it's, it is a very unique situation. And uh, obviously, you, you, everybody wants to play and wants to start. And I think we had four really strong ones. And, you know, Jason Higgins coming in next year, he's been playing rugby, obviously, probably since he was five years old. So he's going to be another guy who's going to have that that knowledge of the game who, who comes in and can really play. So, yeah, I don't think it gets any easier for me, unfortunately, or, or any of our scrum half group. But, you know, that's a, a good thing for our coaches and a good thing for the Arrows and a good thing for Canadian rugby. Yeah, I guess it's uh, kind of one of those things where it's like it's it's a nice problem to have when you're like, yeah, yeah I, we can put up. Yeah, we have three scrum halves that can start like anywhere in the league and put them in and be happy. Um, so, like, with that, it's – 
obviously like you guys do have, there is a lot of new parts coming in. How do you have to go about integrating those guys like Higgins or Gonzalez, Montero, um, any of the new guys coming in? How do you like go about sort of like integrating them into the Toronto Arrows system? And what do you think is like the best way to kind of go about doing that? I think the Arrows culture is unique in the fact that it's a real inclusive culture. Um, you know, there, there aren't cliques so much. There's no, like, I think everybody's kind of cool with everybody. And, and, you know, we, a lot of it comes from our, our training sessions are quite often uh, we'll have a morning gym, say two hour session, and then we'll have a lunch and we're all in the same room. We're all hanging out. Everybody's together all the time. And so that kind of gives you that, there, there isn't really an opportunity to be exclusive in that that kind of environment and that kind of culture. So bringing in new guys has never been an issue for us. Obviously, there's the Spanish contingent on our team, which makes the makes it easier for, you know, guys like uh, uh, Gaston Cortez uh, to come in and, and guys who, who just it's a lot easier, obviously, for those guys to speak in their native language to one another and everything. And it it also helps with things like uh, the instruction from the coaches, uh, translating that over and, and, you know, rewording things so that everybody understands. And it, it ensures that there's no gaps in communication with all the guys and everything. You know, sometimes you'll make jokes where it doesn't come across the same in Spanish and that. And someone, one of the other boys will explain, you know, what he's talking about. And then you'll see him laugh and things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's ever been an issue in, in I, I will say that you don't have to make that conscious effort to necessarily really try to include someone because it's such an inclusive culture that just by nature of it, everybody seems to come in and, and enjoy it. I haven't had uh, any individual yet come in who, who hasn't, you know, really fit in right away and, and really enjoyed their time. So I guess that's i I'm really thankful for that. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a product of the environment. So I think everybody plays a part in that and it's, it's not just one kind of person if that makes sense yeah absolutely and it's like with with having like such a tight-knit group on your team obviously you know with the way the schedule worked out last year and the way it was kind of gonna work out this year too you guys are obviously on the road together a lot um i'm assuming that kind of helps bring the group together make it a little bit tighter um but like from from those road trips do you have like any like favorite memory from just kind of hanging out on the road um with your teammates yeah, I'd like to tell you that we live like this crazy extravagant life when we're all over. But uh, some of the time, um, most often, you know, you, you obviously have your roommate in that. And if you're there just for, you know, the one game, obviously it's about preparation for that game. So after the game, obviously you can go have a night out and there's always, you know, stories and everybody has a good time then. And that's where a lot of that camaraderie comes from as well. I think it's super important to have that social aspect within any team, you know, not just a rugby team, any, any sport team, anything in general, that when you can kind of get outside of your work and, and that and really kind of enjoy each other's company, that's where a lot of that camaraderie comes from. But I think uh, favorite memories <laughs> I don't know if I can say just one and you always have, you know, different roommates in that. I, I do. I did really enjoy, um, like I was mentioning that, that van trip that I did with Sammy and Giuseppe and that, uh, that was a blast. And that was, uh, coming from a road trip. So we were in, uh, Atlanta, we went Atlanta to Denver and then we rented a, a van right after Denver. And for the bye week we spent it driving around and then 
coming back and that. So, uh, that was, that was awesome. Obviously all the different roommates I've had, I've, I've had a great time with all of them. The one unique experience was when we went to Vegas for preseason. Um, that was a little bit looser in terms of schedule and that, you know, we didn't have to, we could go and explore Vegas if we wanted to during the nights off and things like that. As long as, you know, he kept it within reason and we went, boys all went and we did top golf one night and all that. So like just doing things like that, I, I really enjoy and, and getting out of the hotel because it can be, you know, pretty monotonous if you're in the hotel and, and you're just sitting there watching TV, go to bed, wake up, you know, you eat, you get ready for the game, play and then go home, you know? So those, those experiences, they're all kind of unique. I don't know if there's one particular, but I, do, I really do enjoy, you know, spending time with the guys on the road. Yeah, Vegas probably isn't a bad city to have a few uh, extra <laughs> no. hours to uh, hang out with the boys. Huh? Yeah, not for your wallet, but, you know, the rest <laughs> of it's pretty good. So we've been told that uh, there are two, at least, and currently only two teams joining MLR in uh, 2021. Um, just for hypothetical sake, if you were to start your own franchise in MLR, where would you put your team? Or to be more accurate, if you could go to any city in North America for a game, where would you like to go? Jeez, that's t- I, I mean, I think everyone was pretty stoked when Hawaii was, uh, you know, being thrown around the mix there. And uh, I've had some great times in San Diego as well, in California. So, you know, those two teams, I know that ob- obviously they exist already. Um Hawaii not being in next year, but they're uh, at least in the works. But those are two of my favorite cities to go to. Um, obviously, my fiance is from Chicago, so I think she would kill me if I didn't mention Chicago being a great city. And it is it is an absolutely awesome city to be in and that. And I would love the experience to go there. Um, I don't know if there's any that uh, I could really speak to. Unfortunately, a lot of my travel comes from playing rugby, but... Uh, not necessarily. You've only been to the places that already have the rugby team in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we could expand out like Bermuda, I've been to Bermuda uh, a bunch of years ago to play in this game. Actually, we played against the Saracens. They were on like an end of year piss up and still smashed us by 60 points. But it was uh, <laughs> like I played for this international 15 team and frick, Bermuda is a time. And I'm sure you guys have seen that like tens tournament that's coming up and there, being yeah. played there. Frick, I don't know like who I have to pay to get on a team there, but that would be unbelievable. That see, would be a see great if you time. can enter a team, get the uh, Toronto yeah. Arrows 10s going. Yeah, I know it's been thrown around. Guys have been talking about it and that. So uh, I don't know. Hopefully we can uh, just beg Whitaker. So eventually he's just, you know, gives in. But I don't know. He's he's pretty stuck. So I don't know. We'll do, see. Do it, Mark. Do it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he will listen to everything I say. So if I, yeah, there yeah. we are. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. Please do it. You heard it here first, Winokur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things I guess you know, kind of start to close out here. You did uh, mention, you know, your fiance being from Chicago. Obviously, you know, she's a uh, Megan Bozak. She's played for Team USA um, hockey. Uh, has a couple Olympic medals, a bunch of World Championship golds to her name as well. Um, what like. Does having like a partner that's also a professional athlete kind of say even like help you like sort of like drive yourself and like, you know, you know, help with that sort of like ambition, especially as you said, like during something during COVID, you guys were able to like buy a bunch of weights and stuff and keep like working out and everything. Um, so like, how, how do you feel like that, that kind of works for you guys? 
Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, an advantage because nothing makes you feel worse than, you know, you sitting on a couch and her going to like work out and do all this and that, you know. So like those sort of things, uh, definitely it helps you out. And also it, like it, it creates a, a competitive environment, um, you know, that probably most partners wouldn't have. But, you know, we're working out and are doing something and, you know, you correct her form and she snaps back at you to be like, you're like, oh, uh oh, it creates a, you know, competitive environment where you wouldn't have that otherwise, which is good. Or, you know, they're doing extra reps, something or whatever it is. And it uh, just pushes you to do more. And uh, I guess be as competitive as you are. Every, everybody who plays a sport wants to be the best at it and wants to compete and not be beat by anyone, no matter what sport and anything. So it, it does drive some pretty good competition. It also allows for, you know, one thing that I really enjoy is we can go and do something else outside of both of our sports and, and go and do that and really enjoy it. Like we've been golfing a ton this year. She's actually gone. She's going to play in uh, Russia and uh, like the women's version of the KHL. So she's on her way there at the moment and that. So, uh, but this summer we we did do a lot of golfing and that, and that's something that uh, I really enjoy. And I know she has a great time and it's, again, we can be competitive, but we can both suck. So it's, uh, you know, perfect. So, so is that, is that saying that you're both not very good golfers or is there, there's yeah, something we, else that is just, uh, we, we try too well. We try, we try really hard and we go quite often and waste a lot of money, but we, uh, we, we, we golf, but yeah, we're not, we're not great. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I'm sure if, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but uh, Danny Lee six putted from four feet out at the PGA tournament this weekend. I don't know if you saw that clip or not, but I'd still be on the front nine playing at winged foot. That, that course is so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to personal development, obviously, um, the six months off haven't been a fantastic benefit for anyone, let alone yourself. Um, but for next season or even for your um, rugby career, do you have any personal goals that you want to accomplish, whether it's um, reaching a certain amount with um, points scored or um, getting to a certain number of national team caps or something different? Yeah, I think um, as kind of a, it's both an individual and a team level. The obvious answer is obviously to win that that MLR Shield with the Arrows. I think for me it means so much because I'm I'm also from here and I've seen the Ontario like how rugby's gone in Ontario. And when I started playing uh, with the Blues, I played with you know legends in in my mind, and they are you know legends who didn't have the opportunity to play professional rugby. You know the Derek Daypucks and you know, the Steve Piatics, the Dan Wests, you know, those guys I got to play with. I, I had a, a scrum half group one time. It was like Adam Shouten who plays in Bramford and Jamie McKenzie and Rory Tomlinson. And these guys who were just, you know, when I was coming through, I thought they were the, the be all end all. And, that, and, and obviously Jamie's playing with us, but uh, they didn't have that opportunity to play professional rugby. So if we could win a championship with the MLR and the MLR, I, I think, for me, that would be, you know, so huge and so such a representative thing of, of I'd be very, very proud of to, you know, see rugby come from that amateur time when guys weren't able to make money to, hey, guys, like, yeah, I, I got the opportunity to play with you guys and, and this and this is what it's led to. You know, it's not just a, a, a me thing like we, 
they've created were benefiting from the grafting that they put in at that amateur level. And for me, that would be, you know, kind of bringing that all full circle. Um, so winning that MLR championship for me would be, would mean a ton. Uh, as far as obviously international stuff, it, it's a, it's a, it's always an honor to wear the Jersey and that's not just a, a, a cliche. It, it's just, it's something different when you put it on and you're like, you know, I'm representing our country which is obviously you live here because you think it's the greatest place to live and you're so proud of it and, and that, and it, it's something that you take honor in. And when I was younger, when I got my first cap, I thought, you know, I'm going to, I want to get 50 caps and that's it. And then you, you get a bit older and you know, the opportunities aren't always there and you see this young talent coming through and you start to think, okay, well, I'm probably not going to get to that and that, and, and that's fine. Because if, if Canada's winning, that's ultimately the goal, and that's going to grow rugby in that. So, you know, if there's kids coming through who are going to go and take that, that that I'm you know more than happy to hand that over. But it's such an honor to wear it, and I would love the opportunity to wear that jersey and to to play as many games as I can for Canada. You know, if that happens, amazing. And if it doesn't, I just hope that you know whoever does get that opportunity, you know, relishes it, and we continue to grow the the sport here because the success of the national team is, you know, kind of that, that leeway, that catalyst for the growth of, of Canadian rugby. Everybody wants to be part of a successful team and sport and that, and it's not always fun when you're losing games and that. So uh, I think uh, more than anything, I want to obviously play for Canada, but I, I want us to succeed as well. Yeah. And like, where do you see, like with the introduction of the Toronto Arrows, Pacific pride is now out West. Um, you know, and like guys like Phil Mack just announced to be part of the coaching staff out there as well. Like, where do you see like with MLR coming in with, you know, now professional rugby is now available in Canada. Like, where do you see like the growth of rugby within Canada going in say the next five to 10 years? I think that the opportunities that are there are different than they once were. Like I mentioned, those guys uh, who I, I had the pleasure to play the blues with, they never had that opportunity. They never had some, like, you know, these guys would be working all day just so that they could get off to leave work early and go to rugby and jeopardize probably their jobs, you know, and couldn't start their, their careers outside of sport after because they were playing amateur rugby, you know? Um, so the fact that there are opportunities now to to make a, a living, to play professional sport, to keep that dream alive. There's so many guys who have had to obviously stop playing because they had to go and make money and that. And now there, there's that option where they don't have to stop playing, right? They can come play in the arrows and make a salary for the season and uh, put themselves in a better position to try to make that national team. Cause obviously anyone who's a Canadian player, that that's their goal to represent the country. Um, and now that that option's there. And I can say last week um, we had Siaki and Tyler Rowland fly back from the pride to come and train and frick, those boys are, uh, they're fit, they're strong. And, you know, clearly credit to, to Philly and, and, cuddles out there for doing what they're doing because those guys came back and they're you know didn't miss a beat and they hadn't been with the team and I was thoroughly impressed by both of them so it it's there the opportunities are there the pathway is there and 
I'm, I, we just need more of it, more rugby, more opportunity to succeed. And I think that will be bred from, you know, national team success, obviously. Like I said, everybody wants to be a part of it when it's going well. So if we can keep being successful at that level, which obviously they're on the right path, it's just going to breed more success. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, more games, more games at the high level kind of just makes everybody better. Um, well, so Andrew, we really appreciate your time. I think that's um, all the questions that we really have, um, at least on the rugby front. I do feel like just because we have brought up hockey a couple times throughout this episode already, who are you taking to win the Stanley Cup? Uh, I would have said 100% Tampa. It's not even a, uh, a question in that, but I was talking with Corey Hector, our development coach, uh, yesterday, and he's like, I think Dallas is, you know, the blues of last year. They're just going to grind and suffocate, you know, suffocate the life out of everyone they play. And I thought about that, and that was a great point from him. So now I'm, like, torn between it. And, and the Dallas got you know, game one, too. So, I mean, people oh, could be on or something. So, I know. Oh. I can't believe Kudobin. Like, how good is that picture? Have you guys seen where he has, like, the big steins of oh. beer and, like, a plate of chicken wings? That is yes. the, that is an all-time picture. I would play for that guy 10 days out of 10. That'll you be know, a, that that'll be a poster man. on, like, <laughs> the, like, the dorm room walls. That'll stuff. be a poster in my bedroom. That is, like, yeah, an all-time go. picture. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can put it like behind you. Next time we do a yeah, podcast, we we'll go. make that the back, the backdrop. <laughs> Kudobin just sitting there, pile of wings, half cut. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, well, I, I personally, I'm pulling for Tampa just because I want to see what it feels like to watch a blue and white team win a Stanley Cup for once in my lifetime. <laughs> um, I figured you'd enjoy that joke yeah. as a Habs fan, but um, that's that's all good. No, I feel your pain. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. The Habs haven't won in a while at, uh, either, so. Um, but before you let me go, I just want to say thank you guys, obviously for having me. And, you know, I think it's great that what you guys are doing, we need more supporters. We need more people who are putting rugby out there. And, you know, this platform is, is, you know, how people consume their content now. And so I'm stoked to be a part of this podcast and I'm stoked by what you guys are doing and, and, uh, yeah, keep it up. You know, you, you guys, the Brian Rays of the world, the people who are pumping out that information and you know really putting us on the map uh thank you for that and and obviously i'm happy to help out at any time that i can so thank you guys so much for having me and yeah enjoy that patriots seahawks game tonight yeah, well, we appreciate the kind words, and uh, if, if you haven't if you if you haven't looked yet, Patriots are up. Uh, actually, Seattle just tied it. We just got a touchdown. Seattle just scored a touchdown. It's fourteen fourteen now. Perfect. Fourteen fourteen with about six minutes left in the second quarter. So um, that's my uh, my live update for people that are going to be listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. after this game's over, anyways. So, yeah. So Seahawks really what... one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We can yeah. act like it. Yeah. Talk about yeah. it, right? Did you just see that Seahawks. play in the yeah, third wow. quarter from Russell Wilson? Wow. 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 Unbelievable. Um, yeah. So either way, Andrew, again, man, we appreciate yeah. your time and uh, hopefully we can, uh, as you said, do this uh, sometime soon. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. Thanks very much, thank you. Andrew. Yeah, take care. Big thank you to Andrew Ferguson, scrum half of the Toronto Arrows, 10 caps with Team Canada for joining us um, this week on the Rouge Rugby podcast. Um, Stu, what did uh, some of your takeaways from that interview and what Mr. Ferguson had to say? Well, coming from the UK, there's obviously the great tradition of rugby. And even though rugby has only been uh, professional since like 95, there's always been like the background, like the shamateurism um, of like the early 90s of pay of uh, players getting paid, you know, under the table, hush, hush. So when he brought up the fact that 
in his environment um playing professional in his in his home country wasn't a viable option it's a complete change from my experience of rugby growing up because we're roughly the same age i think there's only like two years difference between us um so it's been interesting to especially hearing about his experience um with the crusaders and then with the ontario blues and now with the toronto arrows and now being able to play in a professional environment and yeah so that was a really interesting takeaway for me personally what about you yeah i mean obviously having professional rugby in canada um pretty much for the or for the first time is massive for the sport um uh, my biggest takeaway is that sam malcolm apparently was playing on easy mode the entire time he was in major league <laughs> rugby because i guess he doesn't need the full width of the post there um so like wow like that that story that that's a that's a that's a legendary tale man i'm surprised uh I kind of like that when he told me that I'm like one I can totally picture him doing it um yeah. like I'm not like but uh two yeah wow that's that's nuts um but also it's like he did kind of make it sound like the arrows do like a competition for who's gonna kick so I feel like Sam Malcolm just won that all the time maybe um and obviously yeah. if he goes five for five hitting it off the middle of the pole that is just damn impressive um yeah, so I think we'll just kind of end it here a little bit of fun um, just because I kind of sent out a tweet a couple of days ago that got a couple of fun responses to it. So I just wanted to have us weigh in on it um, following that uh, that interview with Andrew Ferguson here. Um, so in, in saying that, basically I sent out a tweet essentially just asking which fictional character would make the best rugby player. And it got a decent amount of responses here. So some people go in with, you know, obviously guys that have superpowers or some sort form of magical ability um, kind of ranked pretty highly here. So we got just kind of scrolling through quickly. We got Thor, um, Iron Man, Bane, Waldo, um, Hagrid, Black Adam, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, uh, Spider-Man, um, I can't remember which one is Rocky or Bullwinkle between the squirrel and the moose, um, but the uh, the squirrel got a nod as well. Um, Ivan Drago, um, The Incredibles, The Hulk, Juggernaut, Hodor, um, plenty, plenty of people kind of chiming in what position they would play. So Stu, just uh, figure why not throw that out there, man. Who, which uh, fictional character are you taking? You're Put, you're putting together the Toronto Arrows next year. You get to reinforce it with a fictional character. Any powers, who are you taking? Well, now that you mentioned Rocky and Bullwinkle, I think that would be a great scrum half, uh, fly half combination there you go. to put in place. Um, my uh, fictional character that I would add to the Toronto Arrows, and I know the back line is already getting pretty stacked at the moment, but I would put on the wing... Um, the Duke to be of Caladan, which would be Paul Atreides. And, uh, you know, anyone who's read uh, the Dune novels and spoiler for the 2020 film, but in my defense, the book's been out for over 50 years. And there, was, is available there was also a movie library. in the 80s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This the David Lynch movie from the yeah. 80s. You've... Um, so, you know, he. You also can't spoil a movie that's already, yeah. that hasn't come yeah. out yet. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so I say like, okay, um, now Paul isn't so much like a superhero in the sense of, you know, 
wears the underwear outside his uh, trousers and has a cape. But uh, he does have certain abilities. He has uh, the weirding way, which allows him to move very quickly in short distances. I, I feel that any tackler would uh, be adding uh, missed tackles to their stats anytime they go up against Paul. Um, he'll also have uh, prescience. So he'll be able to see the best uh, running line to take. And uh, if he does get tackled, that's because he knew that that was the best way going forward. Um, and that's being raised as the son of uh, the Duke of Caladan and soon to be like Emperor of the known universe. Very charismatic, great leadership qualities that are obviously needed for any team, especially. Um, I'm not entirely sure if he'd be allowed to ride a worm on the field, but you know, I think we have to go over the MLR handbook to find the finite details on that. Yeah, Jonathan Kaplan's working on that right now. Um, I uh, yeah, I don't think there's a rule that explicitly says you can't ride a sandworm during the game. Uh, what did you think of the trailer that dropped like a week ago? Are you a fan or did you see uh, it? Well, uh, my friends and family know that I uh, last year got into back into like the Doom books. I've been um, I've read all of the main series with the exception of uh, Chapter House Doom. So I. And I always feel it's the same thing of like when I saw like the trailers for Harry Potter. It's like when you love a book so much and then you sit, you know, it's getting adapted into film, you know, certain things are going to make it and then certain things aren't. Um, so I've decided to just view it as um, its own entire like property in in universe and certainly there will be um i already know they've made a few changes for example in the book liette kynes is a man and in the film he's a woman well she's a woman so um that's going to be but then again that's like a minor change i'm not entirely fussed about that i think um timothy charlemagne is probably going to do the most accurate version of um, the young Duke because in the books he's meant to be 15. Timothy Charlemagne is not 15, but uh, you know, he's got that young face. Um, but I think the thing that stands out the most is the design of the worm that was right at the end of the trailer. I thought that was a completely unique take on it while at the same time honoring like the previous films and the previous uh, miniseries that came out in 2000 so i um if cinemas are still open by uh, christmas or whenever the film gets released yeah. i would love to see it in full 3d imax what whatever gimmick they're having on it well uh but enough about my uh, Dune obsession. Uh, what's the fictional character that you'd like to see uh, playing rugby? Yeah, well, my my choice was Bullseye, um, the famed Daredevil villain, basically because it's not technically a superpower. Marvel doesn't classify it as a superpower, but his whole thing is that he can't miss. And I'm like, that is a clutch skill if you are a goal kicker in a league. So I was like, yeah, you, if you had Bullseye on it, man, you can just have him slotting drop goals from anywhere on the field at any point in time. Um, as long as you get within like 60 meters of the post, you could just be like three points, three points, three points. Um, so I said that and, um, but you know, now that I'm, you know, but I guess looking back at that Andrew Ferguson interview now, apparently Sam Malcolm was bullseye, um, yeah. <laughs> which 
you know, I think is uh, further furthering my case for having him play. Um, so yeah, you would. I, I would want a guy that can't miss any kick at all or every pass is going to be on target. Throw him at ten. Um, that would be that would be kind of the way I would go with it. Um, and you know, like it's yeah, you couldn't go wrong with that, man. That'd be the strategy. You see, like guys like Elliot Daly pumping out sixty meter goals or whatever. He could do that at will. Like just wouldn't even be a question. It's just if he lines up a kick, it's through. Um, three points are incredibly valuable. Two points off your conversions incredibly valuable. Um, so I, I like yeah. So um, but you know, sadly, I guess Bullseye is uh, off to Japan now. Um, so we uh, no longer actually get to see him on uh, the Toronto Arrows. But that was going to be my pick. Um, curious though, um, who anybody else would say. Um, so if you have anything to weigh in, any further suggestions on the best fictional rugby, fictional character that would be the best rugby player, um, feel free to let us know. Um, you can find us across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at LaRouge Rugby. Um, you can find myself personally, same place as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Brissette the Jet. Um, Stu, where can uh, the fine people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and my handles are the same for both. It's Hardman, spelled H-4-R-D-M-A-N. Perfect. And once again, big thank you to Scrum Half Andrew Ferguson for joining us on this week of the podcast. Um, uh, We hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next week.